You're listening to the College Age Movement Podcast. What is going on, you guys? Hope that you're having a good week so far. We are starting a new series this week entitled Samson. We're looking at the story of Samson. It's found in the book of Judges. And I grew up knowing the story of Samson on a pretty basic level. I knew he was a strong dude with long hair who killed a ton of people because he was a super warrior. But it wasn't until the last couple of years that I picked up on, on more of the importance found in the entire story. And the story isn't very long. It's only a few chapters in the book of Judges. But but I think that there are some lessons that we can absolutely learn from it. And, and I don't know about you, but I tend to look at biblical stories and think about how I don't really measure up. And Samson, for a long time, would have fit that bill. I just didn't associate with a, a super soldier, uh, this this Captain Israel, so to speak. And if we, we read the entire story, if we actually look at the story itself, like most others in Scripture, God uses broken people. And Samson's story probably teaches us more through his weaknesses than through his actual strength. So the first thing that we have to understand is that Samson was a Nazarite. Samson made a Nazarite vow to follow God. The, an angel in, in Judges chapter 13 shows up to his parents and says, hey, you're going to have a son and he's going to be a Nazarite. And that meant some very specific things. It meant this, is that he had to make a formal swearing of an oath of service to God. He had to abstain from drinking wine and fermented liquor for his entire life. He had to let his hair grow uncut because that is where his strength came from. And then for the entire period of the vow that he's made, He's also not supposed to come in contact with a corpse. So those are some of the the necessities of being a Nazarite. And the story of Samson is found between chapters 13 and 16 of the book of Judges. And we're only going to be in this series for a short time, but I want to get as many things as we possibly can out of these short chapters. And we're going to start in Judges chapter 14. And for a little bit of context, what we have to understand is that Israel is currently under the control of the Philistines. That, that that is some context that we need to work with here, that the relational uh, disparity, the relational gap chasm comes from so many different places. But the large majority of it is that Samson is dealing with people that are currently ruling over his country. That's going to come into play more in the coming weeks, but but I just, I just want to set the stage a little bit. So Judges chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. It says, Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. So a woman, a part of the country that is ruling over them, which would be a no-no. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. His father and mother replied, isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives? pause bible is super weird but we have to remember this is thousands and thousands of years ago not as weird to marry one of your relatives or among all our people must you go to the uncircumcised philistines to get a wife but samson said to his father get her for me she's the right one for me go get her go get her for me (laughs) undoubtedly samson was an equipped man who had a ton going for him and here in the first scripture that talks about his young adulthood, we don't really hear Samson. There's no interactions. Chapter 13 is his is his birth. Chapter 14, he's already a young adult. And he's saying to his parents immediately, go get her for me. He comes off as incredibly selfish. The, the gifts that he has are something where he recognizes his worth and in doing so, then create some demand. So the first question I want to ask this week is, what are we using our gifts for? 
What are using what are we using our gifts for? Every single one of us is gifted with unique gifts and abilities. We just have to ask ourselves if we are going to use those things for our own benefit or for the benefit of others. Samson knew that he was a, a little BA. He knew that the world was his oyster, so to speak. But but his vow to God wasn't about being the best. It was about serving both God and serving his country, protecting his country. And while you and I are not Samson, our lives can easily become us trying to serve ourselves instead of Jesus. It be, can become about serving ourselves instead of the people in our lives. What God has given us, whether it be money, influence, power, talents, etc., those things can easily become a barrier in our relationships instead of the springboard that they're intended to be. What God has given you, position, power, influence, money, gifts, talent, whatever it is, use those as connect points with people. Use those to get close to people. Use that to love people like Jesus would love people. Don't let that become a barrier to you being the person that God has called you to be. Because so often we we can get stuck in our pride and we can say, well, the gifts and the talents and all the things that God has given me, it actually elevates me. And it's not about being elevated. It's about being positioned, that we would be people who see our position and we would own the responsibility of loving people really, really well in that position. The next point is gift, gifts mean nothing without obedience. The story goes on to say this in verses five through nine. It says, Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and mother. As they approached the vineyards of Timnah, suddenly a young lion came roaring toward him. The spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him so that he tore the lion apart and with his bare, with his bare hands as he might've torn a young goat. So like, you know, typically you, you told you, you tear a goat in half with your bare hands. Cause that's what normal people do. But he tears a lion in two with his hands, but he told neither his father nor his mother what he had done. Then what he had done, then he went down and talked with the woman and he liked her sometime later when he went back to marry her, he turned aside to look at the lion's carcass and in it, he saw a swarm of bees and saw and some honey. He scooped out the honey with his hands and ate as he went along. When he rejoined his parents, he gave them some and they too ate it, but he did not tell them that it had been taken from the lion's carcass. So we have to understand that some people are strong but they are weak-willed. We also have to understand that surrendered people often have the strongest wills. Samson, while being someone who took a vow, doesn't strike me as someone who has a strong will, somebody who has surrendered to God. And because of that, what we'll see over the course of this story is that he makes some incredible mistakes. So, so just because you're strong doesn't mean that you're strong-willed. It doesn't mean that you're disciplined. It doesn't mean that you, that you have all the things that God has asked you to, to operate in. And surrendered people, while on on surface level may seem a little bit meek and, and uh, a little bit humble and, and they're not super confident, a lot of the time it's because they've surrendered their will to Jesus. And so would we be people who understand that we would rather have surrendered wills than, than, than be strong people? I would rather be somebody who has surrendered to Jesus and is operating in his strength than somebody who is strong himself who operates in my own. We need to be people who understand the importance of surrendered lives. You see, when we have a gift like Samson does, or when someone has a gift like Samson does, it can be even harder to surrender because we feel self-sufficient. But obedience will lead to flourishing, not just for ourselves, but for our families, friends, and more. So the bigger the gifts, the bigger the talents, the bigger the platform, it can be harder and harder and harder to surrender those things to Jesus. But would we make a vow now in our own lives to say, no matter what happens in my life, I always want to live with a posture of surrender. 
I want to look a little bit closer at the lion part of the story, first of all, because it's just a crazy story, but what I also want to look at is the fact that the same hands that protected Samson and his family are the ones that reached inside the corpse of a lion to get inside and get honey. The next point is that a a neglected gift can be a dangerous one. God didn't make Samson the strongest man to have ever lived so that he could flaunt his gifts. He gave them to him to protect the nation of Israel. Samson does do that sometimes and in the story protects his mother and his father from certain harm, but that was he wasn't given the gifts so that everybody looks at Sam, Samson and says, "Oh my gosh, look at Samson." He was given the gifts and the talents so that people could look at him and say, "Wow, look at how God has equipped him and look at this man that God has given us to protect us." He was a gift to the nation of Israel. He wasn't something that, that, that was to be flaunted or something where his own gain took precedence over the fact that Jesus or that God had provided him to the nation. See, for us today, we have to understand that what has been given to us is intended to be given to others. If we can only look at our blessings in the context of our own lives, we're living as inward-focused people. And the fact of the matter is that Jesus has never, ever called us to be inward-focused people. He's always called us to be outward-focused. That if we are given gifts, those gifts are meant to be given to other people. That if, if we have gifts and talents, if we have equippings, would we use that for the benefit of others, not to just find elevation in our own lives? That's always be people who are looking to the people around us. You see, with the same hands that tore the line in two, Samson reaches into the carcass that break, and that breaks his Nazarite vow. He was never supposed to touch a corpse. So he has these amazing hands that, that are built, that are, that are perfect. Like think Captain America, think whatever, like the strongest people. And, and he protects his family and rips a lion in two. And yet he still uses those same, ha- same hands to break his Nazarite vow. He wasn't supposed to touch anything dead, but he couldn't help reach for the honey, that thing that looked so good to him. You see, we can look at our gifts and we can be humbled by them or we can find pride in them. And my prayer is that we would be people who are humbled at what God has given us, not take pride, not be prideful in the things that God has created in us. I want to ask this question. What what is your honey and what is your carcass? Maybe it's a confusing question, but but what is your honey? What is your carcass? What What is that thing that you are willing to look right past in order to get the thing that you want? What is dead in your life or what is going to bring pain or what is going to bring destruction or what is, what is going to bring death? Whatever it may be, what are you willing to look past? What am I willing to look past in order to grab hold of that thing that I so desperately want, that thing that looks good, that looks pleasing? I think that we have to, to do a heart check. I think we have to understand that sometimes it's not worth it. It's not worth it to reach into the dead carcasses in our life, the, the, the death and the pain and the destruction and the things that are going to bring about uh, a bad outcomes just to get the thing that we want, that, that temporary satisfaction, but it has to be found in something that is dead. And now hear me, like I'm not saying that every good thing is on the inside of something bad, that every good thing is on the inside of something dead. But what I am saying is that we need to be willing to look at the dead things in our life and say, no, I bet that there's going to be another opportunity down the road that God is calling me. And I'm going to wait. I'm not going to reach inside the dead thing. I'm not going to push past the dead thing to get the thing that I want. I'm going to believe and trust that Jesus is going to provide something further down the road. We need to be people who understand the importance of self-control, who understand the importance of finding strength in waiting for God to provide it at the right time.
Another thing that's really interesting is that Samson doesn't only feed himself the honey, but he takes some to his parents. And while they don't suffer the consequences like he eventually does, it paints an interesting picture and points us to an unfortunate truth. And that is this, is that our sin not only affects us, it affects others. And I think that we would love to believe that nothing that we do in our own personal lives affects the people that we love, but it absolutely does. There's no question about it. Too often our lifestyle bleeds into the lives of those closest to us, and we have to be so incredibly aware of that. We want to be people. We need to be people who pursue obedience, not indulgence. We need to be people who encourage others towards obedience, not towards indulgence. Nobody plans on destroying themselves. Nobody plans on destroying other people. But the problem is that we have an enemy who is intent on doing just that. And that that is described in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. And so many of us have heard this verse, but it says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Our last point is this, is that we have to have a battle plan. We have to have a battle plan. Samson didn't have a battle plan. He he is going to make mistake after mistake after mistake, and it's going to lead him into pain. It's going to lead him into destruction. It's going to lead into so many different, not just pain for himself, for, but for pain in the lives of the people that he loves. He was just so gifted. He was so equipped, and he just decided that he was going to play it by ear. He didn't have a battle plan. We need to have a battle plan. We can't just be gifted. We have to be faithful. We have to faithfully follow Jesus. We have to faithfully be in pursuit of him and his will for our life. Samson needed accountability. He needed community. He needed people to keep him in check. And he doesn't strike me as a man who is willing to, to submit to the, the ideas and the thought processes of other people. You see, too often he found himself alone with his own mind and his own thoughts. And for most of us, we could agree, that's not a great place to be. We need to be in community. We need authentic, authentic relationship. We need accountability. We need people to have checks and balances in our lives and we will provide that for their lives as well there there's something that's happening within the christian church right now which is absolutely terrifying is that it's coming out that there's a bunch of of christian leaders that didn't have battle plans they didn't have accountability they didn't have relationship they didn't have people standing around them and holding them to a certain standard and I'd, I'd really hesitate to use other people's shortcomings as examples because I have so many shortcomings in my own life, and I want to make that super, super clear. But there's there's one thing that happened in the last year that, that was really, really impactful for me is that there's a pastor in New York who who's an unbelievably gifted communicator, who's one of my favorite communicators, uh, a ton of respect for the way that, that he was a husband and and uh, a dad and, and the way that he interacted with people on on uh, all levels, but he was influencing celebrities and people who were very much in the world. And I was just like, wow, this is really, really cool. Granted, all of my perceptions were built through social media, so we know how dangerous that can be. Well, it came out this last year that, that his position, his influence actually led him into having an affair. And I was just shocked. I was just devastated. But but the but the more information that came out, it was like, no, he did a lot of things solo. Uh, he, he didn't let people know where he was at. He didn't have accountability. He didn't have people that were willing to, to call him out on things, all those different things. And it led him into a place where he ends up having an affair and putting his marriage on the line, his, his relationship with his kids on the line, all those different things. And it was all stems from the fact that he didn't have a battle plan. He didn't have people around him. He didn't have accountability. He didn't have have things laid out to say, if I'm here, you know. If I if I go do this, if I'm talking to this person, I need somebody with me. If what whatever it may be, 
He didn't have a battle plan. And I know that in my own life, if I don't have a battle plan, I would be susceptible to, to all kinds of things. And it's not just about sexual sin. It's not just a, about having an affair. It's not about just falling into those kind of traps. Every single area of our life, we need to have people in, in our lives to hold us accountable with our attitudes, with our actions, with our spiritual life, with our relational life, with just the way that we think. All of those things, we need to have a battle plan. If we don't have a battle plan, we have an enemy who is just waiting, who is prowling like a roaring lion, ready to take advantage. You see, we cannot become people who are more focused on the gifts and the talents that we have than the gift giver. When that happens, we become inward focused, not outward focused. We become focused on self, not focused on Jesus. We need to be people who aren't focused on the things that we have been given, but focused on the one who gave them in the first place. And when it comes to position and power and influence, this is where where it can become really dangerous is because we can be really guilty of focusing on the gifted not the gift giver, the person, the platform, all those things. Hear me. Don't focus on your pastor. Focus on your creator. Don't focus on me. Focus on Jesus. Don't focus on whoever your head pastor is. Focus on Jesus. Don't focus on the person, but focus on the person who, or focus on the person of Jesus who enabled them to be the person that they were created to be. We should always be Jesus focused and do whatever we can to stray away from being focused on the gifts or on the gifted. When we do these things, we find ourselves in way too many situations without a battle battle plan. Let's be people who find ourselves with a solid, solid battle plan that no matter in what situation we have people around us, we have plans out in front of us, and Jesus is going to honor that in our lives. Thank you for listening to the College Age Movement Podcast. College Age Movement's in-person gatherings meet Tuesday nights at 7, and we would love to have you there. If you are unable to join us in person, you can engage online at faithchapel.cc or follow us on our socials at collegeagemvmt.